0: Hello and welcome to ClapperCast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Clapper Editor-in-Chief, Jack Luke Sharp, and today I'm happy to be joined by critics, Alina Falls. Hi. George Lewis. Hello. Hilary White. Hi. And our special guest, Taylor Baker from the podcast, Drinking the Movies. Welcome to the show, everyone.
1: Thanks, thanks for having me.
0: On today's episode, we're going to discuss Joseph Gordon-Levitt's first leading role in Three Years, 7500, Josephine Decker's latest feature, Shirley, and Sundance Indie Darling, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Let's begin with a hijacking thriller, 7500. European
2: 162, please report your emergency. European
0: 162,
2: what's your emergency? Michael? I'm fine. Okay. Just focus now, I'm bringing down the airplane. Yeah,
0: okay. European 162, what's your emergency?
2: We the 7500.
1: Zero zero. Okay, I
0: Could you explain what happened? Joseph Gordon-Levitt is back on our screens for the first time in three years as pilot Tobias, who fights to maintain control of his airliner as terrorists storm the cockpit. There's a lot here to talk about 7500 i don't really know where i stand on it uh, which is obviously not the greatest of verb <laughs> um convictions to describe this film um i'll start with the positives and there's very there's, to be granted there's, there's, there's very there's very few but f- from what, what positives there are that I, I must i must give it quite strong credit um uh, patrick Volrath, this is his directorial debut and as directorial debuts go this is a strong start intimate claustrophobic camera work here i think confined spaces are utilized nothing short of quite masterful. the tightness depicted it's it's really engaging especially to be in the cockpit for what is mostly the whole hour and 32 minute runtime. um it's no easy task and uh, to, to shoot in one setting and i think the director to, to his credit always makes it a fairly interesting affair I think for even for an hour and thirty-two minutes, it's 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 not a film that feels like it should be fifty minutes long or or even like a Twilight Zone episode. I feel like this this sort of give credit gives, gives credit to its length. So for the most part, I was never bored. Uh, I need to just clarify that. I think Joseph's gotta love it after having three years out of his little break. Um I think he showcases great weight. I think his skills there, it's like he's never, never been gone. His emotional conviction in one particular scene, which I won't, I won't spoil for anyone who's, who's going to go out there and watch it. I think he's, he's he's showing everyone what we've what we've missed. Aside from that, I have a few issues, which are sadly major. It, it, it ultimately comes into one central point, which I think is similar to a film I watched last year, Young Ahmed at Cannes. This film, for me personally, and I'll throw this to the group because it'll be interesting to get everyone else else's take shortly, is that this film. For me perpetuates the myth that all muslims are terrorists there is zero depth and there's lack of character on on these these villains i, I can understand them, in, in a contextual um and especially in a screenwriting point of view where you don't want to give um these characters particularly a voice or reasoning i i can understand that because you obviously don't want to emphasize that well the terrorist action in question however th- there is there's this issue in hollywood where it, it becomes you know, in, in the 80s, it was all Russians were fighting the Americans, all Russians were bad. And you look at Rocky, you look at Red Dawn. Now you've got a, a, a distinction of, uh, we had it with North Korea for a, a few years, especially in the video game market. But mostly a, a, a in this film, I, I understand that, I mean, to, to depict a terrorist in, in general is not an easy task for a, for a film but this is such a blanket statement i was quite patronized i think that for what is most part a compelling little film and i just think it's severely let down by its motifs for every direction this could have gone it goes in the simplistic direction that's predictable and i feel that the the Muslim terrorist is, is one issue and it's it's a gigantic issue for me because not, not ultimately i am i bored of that trope i think it's it's, it's slightly disingenuous now i think we don't live in, in a lack of a better word, a black and white world. It's it's not it's not like that. Um, but I also feel momentum-wise, and not to contradict my point about its running time, because for the most part, I, I, I was compelled, to, I was there, I was with the film throughout. I feel like it's a film, and this is a strange comparison, but if you think about like Titanic, we all know the ship's going to sink. So it's the journey and, and it's, it's the narrative, A to B, how do we get there? And it's the weight of that narrative that keeps you willing to, to watch it throughout. And I think... Until there is a, a divisive moment, which I've, I've hinted at before with, with another character that Joseph Gondlewitz evicts a, a, a quality of, of, of emotion from, I think from that moment on, um, I found it to be uh, to slow down quite immensely. And I found myself understanding that we were getting to be, and it's just a slow sort of drag to get there. Now that's not to say that I wasn't involved in the film, I was, but I can't sort of detect whether it's me watching it because I'm captivated or because I'm hoping that by the end, there's sort of a a subverted expectation with the depiction of the Muslim terrorists in question. I don't know how anyone else feels. I'll I'll throw it to Alina. Um, How how, how did you find 7500?
3: I hated it. (laughs) Um, Like my family is Muslim. So I'm just, like, so tired of seeing, like, Muslim terrorist movies. I think I said after I watched it that it feels so 2005. And, yes, like, Muslim terrorism is still a thing, especially in Europe. But airplane hijackings are, like, not as much of a thing anymore just because of how much airport security there is. So I was interested to see how they would do that. And I thought it was strange that, like, The only weapons they use are glass and I don't know if I missed it but I don't know where they got the glass from I also didn't like that there's no depth at all to the terrorists they're just random Muslims they're not associated with any like terrorist group or whatever like they didn't even make one up for the film and I think that really perpetuates the stereotype that all Muslims are terrorists because they're not associated with anything it probably if like they had something to do with that, then they could at least like separate like Islamic terrorists from all the other Muslims. There's just nothing unique about it in that sense. So I it's just like it really upset me and I was really mad and I'm just really mad at that Joseph Gordon Levitt would take this role. Like the film could have been done in such a better way. Like maybe if they had changed the like the identity of the terrorists or like just giving them like something rather than like oh they're just muslims because there's a part when the like not the young terrorist but like one of the older ones he's like talking on the phone to uh like the air traffic controllers or police or whatever like some authority figure and he's saying like all the same old stuff of oh like we're muslims we hate the europeans the westerners are terrible blah 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 Like, there's nothing unique about it, and it just disgusted me.
2: Kind of uh, agree with everything that's been said uh, so far. I think think that way of describing it's kind of, it's like non-stop, the film with Liam Neeson mixed with Captain Phillips, mixed with uh, The Guilty, the Danish film about the uh, police officer on the the radio call. So you kind of got the, the gimmick in this, is that the the entire thing takes place in the cockpit and I think I think to be fair that works pretty well. I think it kinda of gets a lot of mileage out of that. But some of the other things, so it kinda of gets to a point and Jack's alluded to this, where it, it switches and all momentum is completely lost by this one decision because you know you know where it's gonna end. So and kind of the way it gets there is it's not entertaining because the 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 character, the the villainous character, is given no depth whatsoever. Which is which is which is why a film like Captain Phillips works because Barkhad Abdi's character in that is given kind of depth to. You kind of realise his motivations. He acknowledges what could happen to him, but he's he's divided by this. The the character in this, oh, well, the name escapes me. It's 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 non-existent. There's no motivation, particularly. He has no defining personal characteristics, barring a thing shoehorned in in the last minute. And to say it's like half-assed would be, I think, being kind. So it's got all of these things just amalgamated to a thing. And I I think you're completely right when you said it sounds like it looks like something from 2005. I think it's it is out of date, I and mean, it's really surprising that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's come come back to this. Especially when you see what he's uh, slated to appear in in the future, it's a it's a very kind of weird comeback uh, role for him. I do, I do think he's quite good in it, but yeah, it, it it's just it didn't really do much for me, to be honest.
4: I went in with totally different expectations of what this film was going to be. I thought it was going to be bigger and dumber and uh, something like uh, Air Force One or I've seen some really, really bad hijacking movies in the recent past like The Langoliers and uh, there's a TV movie that got riff tracks recently, which was awful. It had like Anthony Michael Hall as the terrorist taking over the plane. So coming into this, I had very low expectations. Um, but some of the high points that Jack brought up brought up were uh, were very much in place. I think it's a good showcase for Joseph Gordon Levitt's abilities, but it does slow down and runs out of a lot of steam <laughs> in the third act, um, which is a big problem. And uh, the terrorists, I had a I had a problem with them because once it became apparent that it was just this religious. I don't, it, a religious reason, although it's not religious, like the fact that it just became, uh, a trope, uh, kind of ruined it for me. Uh, if it had been left a little bit more ambiguous and we just never knew what they wanted, I think I probably would have been able to, um, go with that a bit more, but considering how tense it was and that it's kind of like, a, you know how there's like bottle episodes for television shows, it's kind of a bottle movie. I think that, um, George was mentioning the movie The Guilty earlier, and uh, there's other movies like Locke or um, the Up at Sparrow Creek where it all takes place in one one setting. Um, as as that, far as that goes, it actually succeeds just being in that cockpit and still keeping us interested for the most part, but it is predictable. I knew how it was gonna end, I just didn't know Oh I knew, I knew how it was going to end. I just wasn't sure exactly how it was going to end or how things were going to go down. And uh, like, like alita said, the the Muslim terrorist thing is is very problematic. Um in fact, I would recommend there's a documentary on canopy right now called real Bad Arabs real spelled r e e l and it's completely about how Hollywood has taken just Arab culture and turned it into you know, the new kind of perpetuated villainy that exists in, uh in films. And so seeing that happen in this in 2020 was just kind of like, we need something else. Uh, if it had just been guys hijacking a plane, I think that would have been more effective than um, the religious subtext. It's tired. It's old. It's bigoted. It's, it should be over by now.
1: Sure. So I'll be the, uh, the canary in the coal mine saying, I don't see what you guys are seen a little bit um, in that I think this showed a a true level up in form from his previous short films from Patrick Volrath. Um, I think his earliest short film was uh, maybe three minutes in 2012-2013 and he kind of stitched together um, the the feeling of absence and this instead, you you know, as it evolved, became a little bit more um, nuanced than I'm hearing how you guys interpreted the film. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, at the end of the film, had found that I didn't know what was going to happen. um, And I felt bad. I felt like we became the enemy, we being the collective group of people, who identify with the group that isn't the the terrorists i suppose in this film when he's shot after he expresses an idea or a, a feeling of remorse of empathy of he doesn't want this and i found that to be kind of shattering i do agree that the like somewhere in the last third after the glass is taken which was creating the tension joseph gordon levitt has glass stashed there's tension, the glass is taken, basically everything after that falls off for pacing. But I, I, that ending there, I just, I felt hit really hard because I didn't want him to die. I wanted him to, to be um, given a chance because I think that he demonstrated um, exactly what we want to see. And in that way, it was totally different than what I've seen previously in depictions of Muslim terrorists. So I I just make that point Um, earlier. Jack, you compared it to Young Ahmed, which I think is also a film that doesn't really dig into why um, this specific type of radical extremism is prevalent in this individual, but it does create the socio um, circumstances that led to that. His cousin um, died doing that. His father has passed on, and the person he's getting paternal attention from is a local imam. And I I think that without like you don't need to go into the exact descriptors in a hadith or or go into exactly what is the reason for why this belief is you can just say that sometimes this happens and it's very unfortunate and they're humans and we have to treat them very very um, empathetically and you know in the UK you guys have Majid Nawaz heading up Quilliam which has the exact purpose of deradicalizing Muslims um, that do have that extremist tendency like Majid did um, when he was de-radicalized in an Egyptian prison uh, over the span of years. So I I don't know. To me, this was a lot more empathetic than it sounds like you guys saw. I, I do have problems with making Muslims an enemy repeatedly, all that stuff. But I, I did find a level of empathy here that I, I didn't hear from you guys.
4: Uh, actually, I agree with some of the things that Taylor is saying. There are is more of a reach for empathy and particularly the actor who played the youngest hijacker his name is omid mimar or mimar i'm really sorry if i'm mispronouncing his name but there is a a part in the film where it's just him having an anxiety attack or Mm -hmm. a full-blown panic attack for like several minutes um and that is a turning point in his character where he realizes just the seriousness of what has happened and what is going to happen and uh i have to give him and levitt credit because definitely the both of their performances are very spot on and actually very, very visceral and bigger than what this movie is. It's almost a shame like you wish that you could take what these men are capable of and see them playing a scene together in a totally different context. But yeah, as far as empathy goes, especially with the youngest hijacker, the other two are caricatures and we don't know as much about them. Um, it does make the... And scene more poignant, um, and the ending a little bit more of a gut punch.
0: I think um, from listening to both uh, Hillary and, and Taylor just to get their, their two thoughts on that, I think that's why I'm I'm so torn. And I think just thinking about about it now, I think that the film's biggest problem is its biggest strength, and that's shooting primarily in the cockpit. I can understand what when Taylor says that there's there's empathy there, and I think and Hillary, when you mentioned the anxiety attack, that sort of went over my head. When um um, but but listening to you explain that now and and seeing, I think I think that's the that's the one scene where it gets me. Like I I'm I'm beginning to, I'm not I want to say understand. That's that's um that's not what I'm trying to say. But I, I'm I'm understanding that emotion. That's what I'm 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 I'm, I'm sort of the reflection of, of of the decision is is being showcased, and I'm 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 seeing i'm seeing that i'm i'm understanding it but i think that comes too a little too late and i think the reason why that comes too a little too late is because the manner that uh, volrath shoots primarily in the cockpit doesn't give depth or material extended to the other cast members and i think one reason of that is the filmmaking and um that's i think uh, to, to also to, to to reiterate that's why i'm torn because I, I really do appreciate that it's a very intimate little little through light. it shoots primarily in one little location and i think um, I'm I'm so annoyed because you took Locke straight out of my mouth. That's what I I felt like straight away. Um when George mentioned the guilt um I, I I got that vibe. Um, I think that film's far more uh, intimate and, and and far more compelling than than this. Than this is. Um, but Locke, I, I felt like um, it was a, a man in the midst of a crisis, and that that's a far more emotional one. This more is is, is far more physical. But the way that the camera is situated to be solely on Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. And emphasise emphasise that art, It dictates the audience's emotion purely for him, and not to see the the other side of the the equation. It, it doesn't that the other side of the equation doesn't have to be right, but it's it should be noticed and it should be it should be spoken of. And um, in particular, I think the in camera footage that they use on the door. I think on a on a first glance that works because the tension is there, but that takes away from understanding those two characters play or. or or adding even more tension, let's say, especially with, and I, obviously I don't, I'm going to imply it again because I don't want to give anything away, but there's a scene outside that door where, it is, there's two scenes, one where it's devastating and one where it's equally as heartbreaking to watch, but both instances are just, it's a hard watch. There's the there's, there's stuff here that's it's not an easy easy watch whatsoever, Um, but I feel like it didn't, I wouldn't say it undermined but I think it underwhelmed the emotional conviction and and the ten- tension, and the, the story arc of of using that small camera of, of of being on the door rather than us the audience being in that that circumstance. And um, one film um, that I found that was close to it was Seven Days in Entebbe or Entebbe, um, depending on what region you're from. I think that's that's a hijacking film that takes. And I think depending on 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 um, how you feel politically. Um, and, and your religious beliefs, I think that that's also a problematic film. But I think any sort of conversation and depiction is going to be difficult to, to appease everybody. This, I have more of an issue with, but Seven Days in Entebbe, I think you're seeing a side there that's fighting for, um, not a subverted reason, but but against the social norm that we see in cinema. Um, how that film ends, um, it ends in far more climatic and, and action-packed way, which I think ultimately takes away, but it's got a really good soundtrack. Um, but hijacking films just to get uh, everyone's thoughts on it are, are, we, are we over this as an audience now is there room for more or like, where, where, can, where can this be taken because we, we've, we've seen Paul Greengrass um, I wouldn't say reach the climax of, 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 with, with Captain Phillips but uh, as a filmmaking standpoint is there anywhere that we can, we can be subverted of our expectations is anything compelling out there um, just throw that out to the group anyone wants to take, take first Topic on that.
1: I guess I didn't mute, so I'll go ahead and go. Um, <laughs> I mean Red Eye, right? Like Red Eye is the classic Killian Murphy, Rachel McAdams, fantastic hijacking film. So I think the horror premise is the, the premise that I want to see in hijacking, and I don't care what's being hijacked. You know, there's um as much as everybody hates Michael Bay, it's a very fun ending in Six Underground when that yacht is being hijacked by our heroes there's fun motifs to do with hijacking sure they're motifs or it's just a genre piece but you can still do good work get good performers write a tight screenplay and do this you know we were criticizing the Who It for how long until knives out came out which joseph gordon levitt had a narrator um, voice for and we ended up going oh i guess we like that after we you know unanimously panned kenneth bernard's murder on the orient express so I I think that there's still space for it, but you do have to be, you know, a little bit maybe more vigilant with the type of material you're using.
4: Um, I would say that it's hard for me to say that because I think hijacking films or that kind of stuff is just not really my thing. I feel like I have to mention United 93, which I I believe is also a Paul Greengrass film. And although 7500 is different, I did see some similarities as far as, you know, like no score, only ambient sound, It's just focusing on the people dealing with very stressful situations. And unfortunately, in this particular film, 7500, the passengers are pretty much um, off screen, but you can hear them being um, traumatized and uh, see little bits and pieces of what they go through. Um, I think in that particular context, as far as like fear or really having to face what that might be like in the moment. I think 7,500 succeeded at it, which was like, you know, you've seen the footage of what Levitt is looking at. You're just kind of, you feel sick. Like, I can't believe that I'm about to see this. Um, but hijacking films in general, from <laughs> from my point of view, <laughs> I've never really enjoyed them. I mean, it's, it's the same with United Three. it's not made to be enjoyed but I really respected and liked United 93 so who knows maybe somebody will come up with something that's not snakes on a plane or something like that uh that will uh shake us all up like you guys mentioned with Knives Out but until then (laughs) I think that it's a genre that should be left alone
2: I think by its very nature uh hijacking is kind of sent itself up for limited possibilities especially if you're going to set it on a plane i mean there's not many avenues it can go down especially with the end so uh what you kind of have to do is just find a unique selling point and with this to be fair it has obviously the kind of gimmick of a shooting it from the cockpit but uh I mean, I think these gimmicks only go so far and what actual purpose do they serve beyond their kind of own thing? Like if it's at some point the gimmick's going to wear out and then you do actually have to do something with, with screenwriting. So I, th- I think kind of Captain Phillips is the best recent example of it. Obviously, it's kind of holds more weight because it was a true story. And you have a much bigger kind of surface area to to play around with, but yeah, I, I think I'm kind of done with with hijacking films, especially especially on a plane.
3: Uh, I don't really care for hijacking films, just because I feel like it's always the same thing. And like, yes, the cockpit being like the entirety of seventy five hundred is unique, but I did get tired of it. And going back to what you guys said about, like, at least the youngest terrorist was, like, empathetic, I guess I just didn't feel that because it's just so exhausting to see, like, stereotypes of Muslims over and over again in media. Like, I just hate it. It's so frustrating. Like, just to be, like, a Muslim girl, like, in society is literally the most annoying fucking thing ever. Like, it sucks in dating it sucks in, like, making friendships, like, everyone thinks you're weird, especially, like, where I grew up. I grew up in, like, a super, super, like, white Christian town because my dad's white and my mom's, like, the Guyanese one. Um, Like, I'm just so tired that, like, every time something comes out about Muslims, I just feel like, just knock it the fuck off. I'm so tired. Like, it feels like you're making my life so much, like, worse and like more annoying because people are going to see these things then i'm the one getting asked like well are all muslims like that what do you think about this I'm, like it's not my job to like entertain your questions and like every time something like this like comes out that's what happens like whether it's like a movie or like a real life event like i am tired of being the one dealing with it so like oh just i i hijacking films just need to just get lost
0: um there's nothing much i can add there to elena's uh, quite a passionate and a profound um uh, comment on on the film um, um if if i can if i can say anything i think um to add uh, validity to uh, to taylor's point about um about i i don't I, well let's say this i don't think hijacking films have uh, have always got to deal with terrorism i i think or or a, or a specific terrorist group. I think we we've we we all love speed with Keanu Reeves. I think what's different between Dennis Hopper's character um, taking over a bus. I mean, you've got like, like Captain Phillips. There's there's loads of little small instances where you can you can play around with this genre. And and to that, there's some validity to to keep on making these things. I think Wes Craven's Red Eye is a great example. I didn't I didn't think about that. I mean, it's it's exact same premise as essentially as as what this is a different sort of third arc, uh, where, where you've got different character motifs, but essentially you're you're on a plane, there's, there's there's demands need that need to be met. Um, but the reason why I think that works and this doesn't is because of those political elements. I think we, what, what speed showcases you, you can have politics involved, um, you can have comments about it, but it doesn't have to be um a mass um and it doesn't have to be ma- massively emphasised because of someone's skin colour or someone's religious beliefs. You can have politics involved, but there's definitely more nuance to be found. And and and, and to reiterate, I'm I'm still immensely torn because what what we spoke about again is that I think Patrick Volrath's directorial debut here. I think there's there's definitely something here. I think he can work the camera really well. Um, I think the screenplay is is massively u- underwhelming and, and and underwritten from my earlier points, um, and I think it's just a little too late to to sort of examine the characters when it happens. If it was a bit earlier for me, I think I would, I, I would, um, I would fall a little bit more on the line of um, not really having um, a bad issue with the filmmaking, but I, I still think, for me personally, uh, the the depiction of the terrorist group is just. I think we I think we've moved on from that now. I think there's nothing more else to be said. I think we live in a time now where if we're going to depict that specific um, usage, there needs to be a, a, a significant amount of material. And if not, just don't do it. It's it's it, we the audiences don't don't need it. People don't need it. We live in a world now where I think hijacking films are obviously they're not coming out every other week, but um, it's a strong emotional depiction of an act that is, uh, is harrowing to, to to behold. We can all agree that Patrick Volraff's directorial debut is most certainly one that's, um, that's most definitely uh, divisive, to say the least. We move on next to Josephine Decker's return behind the camera with Shirley, starring Elizabeth Moss. Madeline's Madeline left quite the mark on the Indie Circuit back in 2018 with critical acclaim. Director Josephine Decker returns two years later with Shirley. A pseudo biopic of lit novelist Shirley Jackson. You are putting on clean clothes and sitting at the table for a proper meal. I can't. You will.
1: Besides, it's cocktail hour. <laughs> <laughs> up, 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 up.
0: It's going to be so dull. Well, oh, I didn't ask you
3: to behave at the table.
0: <laughs>
3: oh gorgeous slab oh, of flesh. Was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh go on my boy, shed a layer. We aren't informal in this house. I often thought about participating
0: in the Native American ritual of the sweat lodge.
1: Often? Oh, Why, yes,
0: dear. But then I learned you have to crawl through a dirt tunnel under the ground and sit naked buttocks to naked buttocks <laughs> with a
3: dozen other men while some shaman stokes a smoky fire maintaining a hundred degree heat and peddles some
1: noxious root tea that inspires hallucinations. Oh. <laughs>
0: Famous horror writer Shirley Jackson finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. Hilary, you reviewed Shirley over at Clapper. Is this going to help cement Decker as a definitive talent?
4: Well, it's hard for me to say because I have to admit I haven't seen um, Madeline's Madeline, um, so I can't really compare Shirley to her previous efforts. Uh, seeing Shirley by itself, though, uh, I would definitely say that Josephine Decker's career is not over. <laughs> by a long shot um there's quite a lot going on here um it's a very it's a film that's kind of packed to the gills and I mean that in a good way there's a lot going on um there's yeah I've seen it twice now and even seen it a second time I'm still my, my mind is kind of reeling with so much of what's going on there and particularly like exactly whose point of view it is that we're seeing in the film because it does seem to switch back and forth and it becomes very dreamlike and there's also a lot of debate about what we see that's real, what we see that's written and what we see that's um actually happening in the narrative. And then on top of that, it's all layered over the true story of Shirley Jackson and if you look into what her life was actually like and what her marriage was like, this particular interpretation of her life is heavily fictional. Um, there's a lot that's, um, that's been taken out. For example, Shirley and, uh, her husband Stanley had children, but they were written out of the film. There's no couple, um, that lived with them, all these sort of things. So it is kind of, it's an interesting exercise and in what I think that they were going for here was trying to turn Shirley Jackson's life into a Shirley Jackson story and turning the kind of ghost-like elements of her writing and the horror parts of her writing and trying to insert it into her marriage and how she handled other relationships that she had with people. And I have to say, from a personal standpoint, the entire atmosphere of the film is extremely poisonous. And it did bring up some memories or feelings in me of when you do happen to get in a situation with people who are in relationships, whether it's a family, parent, child, um, people who are married or something like that where the relationship is so contentious and so fraught and the people who are in the relationship are just kind of rotten people that you can't help but be uh taken aback like the younger couple in this film is there are bits of um who's afraid of virginia wolfen here and I don't know. There's just so much going on. I kind of want to throw it to everyone else before it comes back to me because I could go on and on about this film for a very long time and I don't want to hog the mic.
1: <laughs> I, I think that the pack to the gills thing I found to detract from the piece. I didn't feel like there was um, any particular consistent tone, which in a what is essentially Um, A genre piece, it can detract from the level of engagement. I think that we kind of talked about that at the end of 7500. The tension just leaves there for a little bit, like it just turns into a vacuum of no tension. And um, after the porch swing scene, which is very um, erotic and complex, it kind of undermined everything else in the film um, between Odessa Young and Logan Lehrman's character, between Stuhlbarg and Moss, um, because you just don't know which couple is the couple that you should care about. Um, And then, I mean, personally, I didn't find that intriguing. I I kind of relaxed and and didn't want to pay as much attention because I didn't Um, feel like there was a propulsiveness. I felt like it was meandering or wandering. And I don't know if that's in the original book that Susan Scarf Merrill wrote, um, which this is an adaption of, or if this is um, just part of the screenplay. Um, And I, I think that balancing these different couples in a narrative work that you're reading is a lot more interesting than watching that happen. Because it's very hard to take Odessa Young seriously at the end, confronting Logan Lehrman, when there's the potential that we see in the porch swing already um, and the possible reason that Elizabeth Moss tells her the truth about that. um, It just, it's a little bit um, hackneyed for me.
0: You just mentioned that Taylor, the uh, the, the quite large cast it has. I mean, we're talking about um, Elizabeth Moss, Moss who's having a, a hell of a year uh, Odessa Young, Michael Stolberg and Logan Lerman. Um, what What do we think about the performances? I mean, Elizabeth Moss, i just mentioned, is coming off an incredibly strong year, which she seems to replicate every year now since um, the dawn of, uh, of Mad Men. Um, is this, a, is this a, an interesting um, feature to, to add on a filmography after The Invisible Man?
4: Oh, I have to say yes. And it's very interesting that The Invisible Man and Shirley are both about toxic marriages, but Moss's character in both of those couples, these on-screen couples is quite different uh i have to agree with this seems to be a not surprising but also like very interesting step for moss especially because her career has taken off over the past 10 years or so particularly in film and i think a lot of people underestimated that she had that ferocity that she's bringing to some of her more recent work you know like her smell Um, and I'm going blank. There's a few other ones that are in the back of my mind where it seems like she could just look at somebody and they could burst into flames immediately. And in Shirley, that happens quite a bit. Um, And even Michael Stuhlberg, or is it Stuhlbarg? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. Um, I thought that his performance was incredibly interesting because he got so much um, press and attention for Call Me By Your Name, where he plays like a very benevolent professor who has a, a, you know this kind of touchy monologue at the end that a lot of people liked. And here he's playing like a nightmare version of a professor. Everything he does, particularly regarding to Odessa Young's character, was incredibly uncomfortable for me to watch. And I felt like I knew this man, although I never really interacted with someone like that. He just he's like the, the you know, the king of his little fiefdom, and he takes as much as he possibly can from everyone he possibly can to kind of disguise his own I don't know if it's insecurities but he's a critic he's not someone who makes his own work and I feel he I sense that he feels very insecure about that and that's why there's so much animosity between him and Shirley and as performers especially considering like she's playing older and there's a huge age difference between them as actors their relationship was believable but also like really really complicated. There's sometimes where you can tell that they enjoy hurting each other, um, that they get off on um, provoking one another. It's as a portrait of a marriage it's very interesting but I have to agree with Taylor on some things where it's there's certain parts where it's just like so opaque I don't know what's going on and especially the ending I still don't know what's going on or exactly how to interpret it. So yeah overall it's a very complicated piece and it's something that's meant to be a discussion like seeing it by myself was I think unsatisfying for me because this is something that I think is meant to be seen in a theater and then you go with whoever you saw it with and you just need to talk about it because there's a lot going on
1: I'll just cut in real quick and echo that because that was my experience with Madeline's Madeline is I got to watch it and then I got to leave the theater with friends and discuss it and that's all we talked about for four hours and I didn't even really like the movie, but it's just fascinating to talk about it. And I feel the same about this. I'm decidedly more positive on this than I was on Madeline's Madeline by like half a letterbox star, which is four or five points, however you want to do that. And I'd love to have watched that in a dark theater where nothing else could affect me paying attention to it. But in modern life, you know, if you're watching it on... TV and your phone goes off, then all of a sudden you look down for one second and you're not in it. And I I think that, you know, that contributes to part of it. And then there's a passive watching thing, where when I'm sitting where I watch TV and engaging in a film, if it's not a really good film, it's hard to stay completely engaged. And I think that her tone to get a little bit of meandering which was hard to stick with and and really feel like a caffeinated person whose frontal lobe is dedicated on watching this because it, it just didn't have a propulsiveness the whole time
0: every 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 time i see something with elizabeth moss and if it be her smell if it be the invisible man i think her emotional conviction of trauma um is second to none and as, as an actress i think she is most definitely at the top of her game To to speak on more more of that, I'd feel like it would just be uh, throwing stuff into the wind, but I just do do want to point out um, any comments about um, Odessa Young's performance. Um, I saw her in the Assassination Nation uh, a few years ago, um, quite an under-the-radar film, quite controversial at the time. She was sort of in a small ensemble, so there wasn't particularly anything to, to... to to, to highlight but she's currently shooting Tokyo Vice the Michael Mann TV series at the moment is is there something there definitely that we'll see in the future or do you think Odessa Young needs a film on her own to showcase her her talents as as an actress
4: that's a good question this is probably like the third or fourth film I've seen her in I've seen her play more ingenue roles um, smaller roles where she's like played someone's daughter or um, or something like that. And I did see Assassination Nation, which she plays someone who's very carnal and it's a very cartoonish film. And this one, I think that it was kind of hard for me to say because she did seem to be cast well because she is in a way playing more than one character. I, she is not only playing Rose, but she's also playing all sorts of characters that Shirley is making up in her mind. And those characters are also very carnal and um, kind of sexually, yeah sexually charged uh not afraid to confront things that sort of that sort of stuff um i don't know if she was meant to play period as much i'd say that she has potential i i it'd be interesting to see her shouldering a film completely on her own if it was the right thing but if especially in scenes where she's with moss you can't look at anybody but moss which is pretty it's a pretty radical thing to say because we're so used to gravitating toward like prettier faces or more conventional faces which odessa young is but you can't look away from elizabeth moss ever and she's not a conventional looking person she's got her own kind of charisma and everything so she's definitely overshadowed in this film and so it's kind of hard for me to to say whether she has potential or not so short answer maybe
1: I think that part of the reason that she is subservient to this film or or plays second fiddle to Stuhlbarg when he's in the room or um, Moss is the very character who is meek and developing her voice of agency throughout the film. I didn't get the sense that she can shoulder an entire picture, but if you tell me that she's the third main lead in a 10-episode arc from Michael Mann, then that tells me she's about to go to acting school at an unparalleled level. So after this, anything, I mean, after Tokyo Vice, anything could be possible um, for her. She definitely has promise. And if she gets to develop as uh, an actress who gets to play an arc and really feel everything out, I think that um, the sky's the limit if that's her opportunity. That's great to hear.
0: Quickly touch on Logan Lerman then um, as a comparable to a odessa young um look we, we've seen quite a range of uh of a filmography recently from uh lerman who's been in a multitude of uh, blockbuster independent circuit have, have we got any thoughts on on his performance is he lost in the fiddle like odessa young is or do do we think it's not necessarily his his film to take uh central reign of
1: i i would say that it's definitely not his film to take central reign of um and i also i'm very mixed on Logan Lerman. I really liked him in Perks of Being a Wallflower. I really liked him in Fury. I liked him as Percy Jackson. Um but his offerings as a more mature murdering gangster guy that he's he's been doing right he has the television series Hunters, then he has End of Sentence which he just did um which is kind of a film based in Ireland with uh John Hawks. Um he plays a an ex-convict and he's trying to maybe be a little bit more Brad Pitt, less um, Gossling, maybe, and I just don't feel any um, any sense of development from him. I, I think he's maybe going in the wrong direction um, for someone who had a, a lot of talent early on.
4: Um, I have to say I haven't seen Logan Lerman in his blockbuster films. Like, I haven't seen Percy Jackson. I didn't see Perks of Wallflower. The only thing I've seen him in that that made uh, an impact on me was Fury, uh, and he is kind of the degraded innocent soul who um (laughs) comes out the other end of that movie completely messed up uh I think that part of what he's going to have to struggle with as an actor and of course like I'd assume you'd never hear this and he's already aware of it is his face his face is very he's very young he kind of has an innocuous look to his face so I think it's very easy for him to get cast in certain things the one thing I will give him credit for and surely though is that it's very, very subtle, especially watching it the second time, is watching his, his character degrade. He's so influenced by Stanley's character that even before you figure out what's really going on near the end of the film, I could already figure out that there was, he was doing certain things that he shouldn't have been doing. And you could see that with the sex scenes. There were certain things going on. There's one really brief sex scene. They hardly show any of it. And I could tell with him that he was already... Um, becoming somebody else Um, so I have to give him credit there but he's given very little to do I don't think he's very he's not a big part of the story and by the end of the film I do have to give him credit for his his line reading at the end where he really thinks that he can say what he has to say and it's just not going to fly anymore but it's definitely not he, he I think he knew what his role was and he did what he could but it's not about him at all
0: I think it's always interesting to see an actor of of that caliber who's done bits and bats of each sort of genre the the blockbuster and, and the independent circuit and then try to um not necessarily revitalize but to to, to reinvent themselves in 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 distinctive uh, properties like 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 Shirley. If it's anything like uh, Robert Patterson's sort of career highlight the last uh, six or seven years working with Cronenberg and then uh, Claire Denis, I think uh, I think Lohm, uh, Logan Lemon's got definitely something to to, uh, to to take note of. Just a quick uh, final mention on the film. Does anyone have any particular thoughts about the aesthetic or, or the cinematography there? Because I, I, I've I've heard some reports that the, it's quite a muted colour palette of browns and, and 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 oranges. It's quite a darkly lit brooding film. Um, does that elicit great emotion for for the actors to work with, or do do you think it's a film that's uh, the that necessary sort of a style of a, so, of a substance?
4: Uh, there's a lot of, it's true, it is very muted. One thing I did notice the second time around more is that there's a lot of yellows and browns and like um, earth tones and then there'll be like cuts of blue in it. Um, so there's a lot of mix of like warm colors and cool colors and stuff like that but for the most part it's shot warmly. Um, there's a lot going on with the production design And uh, I'd even say like the way that they shot skin tone and stuff like that. It's very interesting actually see Elizabeth Moss play another character where I could tell she's not wearing any makeup because she has the same marks on her face that I saw in The Invisible Man where she also did not have any makeup on. Um, Sometimes her skin appeared red or just like, yeah, just kind of like reddish, orangish, um, very, very flushed. Um, And I think that that may have been intentional or not intentional, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'd say it definitely works for shooting a period piece. But come to think of it, what you're mentioning, it would have been interesting to see in this film it had been shot in a different way. I can't really think of particularly how, I don't think it would have worked in black and white for example, but yeah, the visuals definitely do add something, especially the out of focus shots or the way that they, kind of layer shots through editing and stuff like that and you don't really know what you're looking at um it it does all add up
1: Uh, just to build on that i would say that there is a a deft styling to the dream sequences and an early sequence in the woods in which um figures are running around trees and the camera is moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you get kind of lulled into a, a sense of um just being able to witness what you're going to see however i'm unable to speculate as to the color quality of the film as i am black and white colorblind so sorry
0: <laughs> well, i suppose that's a unique perspective to have as well taylor um just to conclude on on shirley i mean from, from what you've both spoken about this most definitely a film to seek out um she did takes any any scene that she's in to a, to a phenomenal level I'm, I'm very curious on both the remarks to have seen this in the cinema. Out of everything we spoke about today, that's the one thing I didn't think would probably would be highlighted, so that's mostly definitely I'm gonna probably have in the back of mind when, when we watch it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to, 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 to check this one out. Finally, let's transition to never really, sometimes always.
4: I saw you weren't at school today. I went to the doctor.
3: Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. What's wrong? rural problems. Bad cramps.
4: Yeah.
3: I get those two pretty much run through a bottle of painkillers like every month. Yeah, same. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude?
1: All the time.
0: Faced with an unintended pregnancy and a lack of local support, Autumn and her cousin Skylar travel across state lines to New York City on a fraught journey of friendship, bravery, and compassion. Taylor, let's begin with your thoughts.
1: I watched Eliza Hittman's Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always when it first released on uh, Prime Cinema about probably the end of March, I want to say. I'm decidedly really high on it. It's still in my top 10. Um, I, I do think the supporting performance that we see, I believe, from actress Talia Ryder, is the thing that made sydney flanagan sing in the film it, it made her so real to have this friend who's experiencing this other part of new york city while she's going through what she's going through and this is one of the most touching and grounded human films that i saw in the entire year so far
0: i haven't seen just for the record uh, eliza hitman's previous effort uh beach rat so this is my first sort of inkling to what the talent she has up her sleeves and any film that has these themes of abortion and and, and, and being a young woman in um, blue-collar America, I think th- there's always going to be sort of a, a dejection when you leave uh, watching it purely. That doesn't sort of negate what you've seen, but it, but you leave with that bulk of, of weight on, on, on top of your shoulders. And I think for the most part, I think Hitman actually gets around that purely by um, writing, not a film that's necessarily about abortion per se, but it's about the journey. And I think it's about what happens before, what happens during and what happens after? And I think I don't think it's necessarily a trope of, of abortion sort of oriented films, but it's 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 usually about the journey that's in the middle. It's about going through this process, and I think the most interesting part in this in this film, no doubt for me, it is that central journey because that's where the meat of the film lies, especially with its emotional conviction. But I, I was so taken back with how not necessarily how how uplifting it can be at times but there's a really great balance here between devastation and, and 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 what comes from that how sometimes when things break apart you you can more or less see the pieces to put back together if that makes any sense there's a lot a lot here i i i adore and i i say that with the utmost respect like that i adore mostly every sort of filmmaking element um hitman does i think the 16mm like style alized Film grain—it's—it's it's sort of so reminiscent of like nineteen seventy cinema, the independent circuit. It's—it's it's one little subconscious feeling where it, I was sort of ingrained by it all purely for its aesthetic. The filmmaking aside, I think it's edited really well. I think it's slow, it's stoic, and it has to be. But I, I compared it um, what during what while I was watching it to uh, Kitty Green's the Assistant, so a, a slow, almost silent protagonist like Julia Garner's Jane. Uh, in The Assistant but there's an unseen an- antagonist. I think sometimes that can work and sometimes it can because you need that cinematic quality like you need something to root against and here it's there's not that's not necessarily present but it's more of an antagonist of themes of, 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 of futuristic intentions of of, of being cornered Some, uh, so I think uh, Hitman sort of plays really well with that. I felt it was almost a bit depicted in a horror at times I don't know if anyone would necessarily agree with that I wouldn't say drama is necessarily the key genre here. I think it plays much like like a horror, very similar to uh, Julia Garner's um, performance of Jane. She's not necessarily interacting with others, but more of like a stoic representation of uh, of of tragedy. Like it's almost an internal. It's like almost an internal visual monologue. If that makes sense. I know that's sort of creating a whole sort of analogy that might not make any sense. But I came away from this. Not only devastated, but as as I mentioned before, but I was highly surprised of how they balanced the tone here of not being a, not being a, not being a film that I walked away from that I would never want to watch again, which these sort of the films i I tend to sort of have a have a viewing really take it out of me and and walk away and think i I, I adored that, but that's not something I could watch again whereas Hitman sort of, i don't know I'm trying to put it into words of how sort of like singular elements, but I think because it works as a whole. I'm trying to analyze it and find those little small instances where how she succeeds in this. And for me, I, I can't, I can't, I can't really, in particularly, see certain elements. But all, as an all, I think this is a film. Um, as you mentioned tell this is a film that will undoubtedly be in my top ten by the end of the year.
1: The point that you're making about how you normally wouldn't want to rewatch a film like this, right? That's a film maybe like four months, three weeks, two days, um, which it has one of the most brutal. I mean, scene, you could pick any number of scenes and they're all brutal, whether it's the dinner table scene or the, um, the miscarriage scene in the bathroom. The, the horror elements that we see here, I think, are, like you said, a depiction of a monologue, but rather than the monologue of Sidney Flanagan's character or the monologue of Talia Ryder, I feel like it's a monologue directly from Eliza Hittman who has players in like what we would classically interpret as like a dramatic monologue in which there's a horror element. You know, when she's in the clinic and told that they can't perform the abortion here, that hits as hard as any jump scare because you know what that entails financially and you know what they already did to get the money to get here. You know the risk that they're at in the city. Um, And then that payoff is this slow, brutal scene as uh, Talia Ryder's character is behind the pillar and she reaches her hand over to touch her while she's making out with that guy who she doesn't want to for money. Um, so that there's a distinctive horror element that I would I would still say that this feels like a dramatic piece and like you said a monologue but more of a dramatic monologue from the creator rather than any particular character.
2: The thing I really liked about it was there's this kind of push pull the whole time. It feels like it's kind of trying you trying to get close to him um, to autumn, but all the all the while maintaining this this distance throughout the whole thing. So there's a kind of a lot of close-ups throughout the whole film and then they're punctuated by kind of where the camera draws back so when she's she's travelling on the bus from Pennsylvania to New York and you've got the reflections coming through the windows and then as soon as you get to New York it's kind of in your in your face again like really, really uncomfortable and I was kind of saying earlier but, uh, by the end of it you, you're wishing both Autumn and Skyler just to get some sleep it looks so beat up and you kind of see the marks by their eyes and i think it's, it is really uncomfortable watching i definitely get the the horror vibes from it
3: i do agree with you guys that it feels like a horror movie just because what autumn and skylar have to go through is one of the most like horrific choices or like one of the most horrific experience that like a woman ever has to face And it's just so devastating, like the entire movie, that she's trying so hard to just have the abortion. Like she knows that's what she wants. And like the clinic in Pennsylvania, I got so angry when she asked like about an abortion. The first thing a nurse shows her is like an anti-abortion propaganda film. And like the way that throughout the film, it's just so difficult to just get what she wants and what she needs. It's just the worst thing ever. Um, like I live in Canada and in Ontario, I've never experienced it. Thank God. But I've, I know people, I know girls that have had to go and like get abortions and whatever. And it's much easier for us here, but, it's still one of the like worst choices you ever have to make. And I can't imagine how much worse it is when there's people telling you that you're a terrible person, that you're killing a baby and all these things. So like for me, the Pennsylvania clinic scene was like the thing that made me like the angriest.
4: It's really interesting hearing all your different points of view, but it's so interesting while processing everything you're saying, I realized, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say anymore. Even though we were just talking about this. Um, I totally agree about the, Comparison with the assistant in that both of them are very quiet films. They're very devastating films. I'm not sure if I'm remembering very accurately, but it seemed like there wasn't very much use of music or score or anything. It really feels like you're in that experience in in both of those films, but particularly with um, never, rarely, sometimes, always. There's almost a documentary feel, like we're seeing something that we shouldn't see, even though it's a very very real reality. <laughs> um and once again, like I have never been put in that particular position, but I do know people personally've had to go through it. And whether someone has an unwanted pregnancy and decides to have the child or not, it's not an easy decision. And I don't think I've ever seen something that articulates what that means more than this film. And uh, upon seeing it, but my reaction was being destroyed, but I like being destroyed because it makes me think about these issues a lot more seriously. And at first I thought I had never seen anything that Hitman had done, but I did see one of her previous films called It Felt Like Love, which believe it or not, is even more nihilistic than this one because it's just about um, being used sexually in a, in a relationship. This is, seems to be more about the fallout or what would happen after it felt like love and both of those girls felt very real the situations felt, felt very real in this um and the ambiguous feeling you're left with at the end of the film is very very real
0: i think the uh, the phrase that you've just mentioned that Hilary, uh, not phrase, but the phrase the word ambiguous is is in, in, in really really interesting here because Hitman. There's a discussion here on on, on abuse, both physical, emotional, further that's psychological. And I think Hitman could have been quite heavy-handed here of, of showcasing a, a household that's in turmoil, um, a person who's in physical turmoil. But I, I think what elevates this film is how Hitman implies everything here. And I think there's a road there that that, that can often lead to well, implication doesn't necessarily speak further uh, on the topic, doesn't highlight. Um, the, the topic to a greater standard. You could do with simply Im- implying it. There's no overtly um, big discussion on it, but I think how Hitman gets around that is that there's this central. Well, there's a, there's a conversation halfway through the film where um, the the film gets its namesake, which I think un- unfortunately is slightly underwhelming. Um, if you if you've seen the trailer, if you've not seen the trailer, which I did, I went straight into this blind. That scene to me it, is so powerful, and to see. Uh, um, Autumn's response, just to just to see, that there's 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 so much not said there, but it's spoken through silence, and it's that small level of implication. It's subtlety. It's, it's you know, it's 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 a form of nuance here that showcases a great range as a director, also as well with with a performance, no doubt. Um, but there could very easily have been a in a, a topic, their conversation on that matter, which could have taken up twenty five thirty minutes of the film. And while that would never have negated the overall arc of what Autumn goes through with, with, with her abortion, what Hitman does is that she never gives the abuser the voice or the screen time to have depth. I think that's very interesting that she does that, because I think it works more beneficial in the film. Because you could argue, well, if we've got no depth for the, the abuser, then you know, what are we rooting for? But it's a central arc, a narrative of Autumn that's so that's written so strongly and so beautifully that with these nuances and, and subtlety, um, that by never giving the uh, abuser a voice or screen time, Hitman never wastes a scene for for what is essentially uh, uh, almost two hours, it's, 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 it's maybe ten minutes under. There's never a, there's no scene here where I'm watching. I'm thinking, well, maybe this could have been trimmed. Maybe this could have been shortened. Maybe this could have been cut. Maybe something else could have been added. There's nothing here which I found to be uh, slow, meandering. Everything here always focuses on autumn and the central the central line. Um, I think it's probably a, far too early to talk about like uh, uh, ramifications of, of this film, but um, undoubtedly, like this is something uh, that, and I, I don't speak for myself, here, obviously, but um, young girls can see this and understand that there is a there is there is a way forward uh, through these issues. But as Alina mentioned um, previously, the, the trajectory to get to the point of of knowing that. Autumn is safe and and, and she doesn't have to go through with this is is so haunting. I mean, uh, as well to reiterate what George said, it's almost three days you watch these two young girls with no money, no idea of what's happening. Just the physical and slow deterioration of also their friendship that that gets thrown into question as well. Um, Having to lie to 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 the parents. There's a lot of ramifications that this, this, this film talks about not only just about um abortion but there's there's a lot here that's just filled to the brim of emotion um and it's just something you 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 leave with uh just just i mean not to like i said not to use the word dejected but and what well, i mean taylor just mentioned that you H- Hitman t- does doesn't fall foul to anything she, she 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 puts you through this and she makes you she makes you witness every single haunting second of of this absolute horror horror story. Uh,
3: I think it's amazing that Hitman makes the film so introspective. Like for Autumn, the entire film is like focused on her and her pain. And yes, Skylar is in it quite a bit as well, but it's mostly focused on like the pain that Autumn's going through. And I think that's really important to show because hopefully uh, it'll change some people's minds about like abortion when they see like how painful of an experience it is for women so like what hitman does with the film it's just such a raw look at the female experience and she handles it like so delicately and i think like the film is devastating but it's also really beautiful
2: i think picking up on um jack's point about the abuser kind of being almost faceless in the film kind of since it's since I've watched in *Bread Some Fury's we've obviously seen like theories about was she kind of uh abused at home? Is is not, is um is her stepfather kind of the, the parent of the the child and it's it's never these things are kind of never laid out in the film. And I I think that's where it really works. It doesn't wanna give a voice or kind of agency to to the abusers, it's, it sticks with, with the victims. And um, kind of the, the, the end scene where we see, I mean, it's mostly on Autumn's point of view, but we get the, the scene at the end. I don't really want to go into it too much. But the abuse is flipped onto to Skylar and the Autumn kind of helps her out. And they don't even say a word to each other, but there's a shared kind of acknowledgement. Of of the pain they're going through, and it's it's the same when the when Scholar finds out that Autumn's pregnant, she kind of sees that um, her bra straps like kind of tugging on the skin, and then obviously follows her upstairs. And I think what Hitman does is manage to keep it mysterious, kind of certain things, and keep you. As I was saying about the push pull, keeps you at a distance, but those you get those rare kind of moments where you you get into the character's heads, like where the uh, the title of the film comes from. Up to that point, you're you kind of wondering what's going through Autumn's head, but in that scene, that is where it it unlocks the whole
0: film, and I think it's where it where it really flourishes. Just to add on to, to George before I throw it back to the group once more and then we'll, then we'll move on. Um, last week I spoke about um, hearing uh, Spike Lee talk about Do the Right Thing and how when that film originally came out and audiences, uh, critics um, he, he in particular points out, uh, had more to say about Sal's pizzeria um, being destroyed and vandalized, or the black life that was taken. I think the comparison here can be said as well for the implication of abuse that you mentioned George there's a there's a there's a faceless um, abuser here um and I think the, the way that hitman goes about is that uh, by not showcasing a villain that the film like I've just not treated myself again but emphasizes autumn store and with that heightens uh, uh Sidney Flanagan's um quite frankly like astonishing performance um i'm glad i'm glad that hitman's got sort of the uh the foresight to 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 have done that because like i said there's a lot here that could have gone on to be slightly i wouldn't say conventional but the, these are these are films that um for for the most part um stick quite a quite a, a similar um, beat and narrative um but just to, to move on again to Cindy Flanagan um, and, and Talia Ryder, I mean these are performances here that, that are quite astounding. And um, for the, for the young age they are, um, that there's there's emotional depth and, and conviction here that that is simply um, superb. Flanagan in particular showcases, especially in the scene of like I've mentioned beforehand uh, about the uh, the film's namesake. Um, there's very little dialogue there, and it's all convicted just through nuance, through through small sort of um, clicks, uh, 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 facial expressions, and it, it just, how how these actors condense pain um, and emotional turmoil through physical conviction, and that's what I was trying to mention that before, um, um, when me and Taylor spoke beforehand um, about the film, to me, always feels like a, a visual monologue, um, and I think that that's, it's a positive for, for a lot of people, and I, I'm sure. As, as everybody has an opinion, I, some woman will find fault in it, but um, I, I can't highlight enough how Hitman, um, as I think this is her third uh, feature, has sort of condensed all these arcs into, into such a powerful um, little film that doesn't just feel like it has any fat on it whatsoever. Um, I think Hitman also handles um, uh, the female eye really well as, uh, as well. I think I think how she convicts how men are depicted here, I think people will will have an issue with. But I think, it, as I said, there's nothing here that I feel that, as as a as a as a male perspective, um, there's nothing here that's disingenuous. I think there's three instances of of male behavior here that's it's not done heavy-handed, but it's 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 not it's not the the form of subtlety we see throughout. It's when it happens, the audience are, are, are showcased. It, it happens. Um, I'll leave those three little scenes um, for the viewer. Um, I don't want to go into spoiler territory, but each scene that happened, as as a male male perspective, that 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 I was f- physically repulsed, and it's easy to say on, after the fact that Hitman sort of has a has an evil eye towards all men, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think Hitman reflects society, and I think that's what's happening. I think in this story, she's reflecting it honestly as well. Just to throw it back to the group, uh, anyone else uh, sort of any final uh, comments to say or
2: Yeah, I was just going to add on the kind of,
0: uh, if
2: people find fault with the depiction of men, uh, I think especially in the case of uh, Jasper, who's the the boy they meet on the bus, I think some will kind of say, do you have to represent men in this way? But the, the point of it is that they they shouldn't even really be on screen, if you know what I mean. But if, if Jasper goes about his way, uh kind of just goes about his day, he wouldn't even be in the film. So naturally the the kind of if you for lack of a better word, the, the good male are the ones who don't kind of intervene with Ottoman scholars lives. they're just going about their day to day business. And I, I think that's the point. I think there's a distinction to make between what what is portraying on screen, and what what it sh- kind of should be portraying on screen? Like they should they shouldn't even be there, really. But unfortunately, they are. And that's a, a reality that they have to face.
4: I agree with George. That's something that really sticks out in this film. And there is a big difference between, in my case, from my personal perspective, between the men that are depicted on screen, which. I have to say, sadly, I'm familiar with, you know, you do encounter men like that, and then I think about the men that I interact with on a daily basis, or the men that are in my life who are nothing like that at all, so I do know in my real life, there is a huge distinction, and you can encounter both, and this movie just kind of concentrates specifically on that particular situation, and especially when girls are vulnerable, this is just kind of, um, A personal theory here and also for my life is that the more vulnerable a girl is the more they attract that kind of behavior it's kind of like this strange thing like it's almost like they can smell it on you so the fact that they were the ones who got approached on the bus by jasper didn't surprise me at all um and uh i think very much i mean like you guys were saying before the abuser is faceless it's not necessarily about him um it's more about the fallout from whatever incident happened or whatever that relationship is. And I think another aspect of that scene that we keep coming back to that's so powerful where she is having to answer those questions is because I think it's the first time that she is realizing the relationship is abusive. And I think it's the first time she's saying it out loud. And once that starts happening, You can see it on her face that it's becoming real and the audience is feeling that it's real. And I think that's why that particular scene is the crux of the film. Everything kind of revolves around it and goes off in a specific direction after that because she's also realizing that there's a problem going on. And that's what makes the ending ambiguous for me personally is once they get home, are things gonna get better?
0: To emphasize, uh, to, to to your point, Hilary, I think um, vulnerability is a word that that ultimately defines this film. I think it's it it's a it's a not it's not an easy watch to say the least. It's an important film. It's one that um, needs to be consumed by both uh, uh, by both um, male and female uh, to truly understand that there's implications of just small actions that uh, cause uncomfortable. Uh, results, um, I think I'm uh, I'm I'm left w- watching this um, a more educated person personally. Um, I'm I'm left understanding that small actions like like Jasper's in the film can have rather large ramifications on on people's well-being and and um, and their own small uh, trajectories. Um, but Eliza Hitman is undoubtedly one to watch for me. Anything more now is, is, uh, is going to be straight on my, uh, my letterbox watch list, which is growing out of control by the hour. Um, but I'm also very interested to see where uh, Talia Ryder and um, Sidney Flanagan um, go from here. I think there's a, there's a lot here to take away from. To round out ClapperCast, we'd like to end on some of our latest films or TV recommendations. Alina, uh, do you want to start this week?
3: Uh, sure. Um, I watched. Okay, I watched Prince Avalanche yesterday morning on Canopy. Cause I'm trying to like use up my credits for that, uh, and it had Paul Rudd in it and Emil Hirsch, I think his name is, um, and it was really cute. Uh, Paul Rudd has a mustache and overalls, so like I loved it for that reason. And it's also really, really pretty. Like it's just a beautiful film to look at. It takes place in Texas in like the 80s, and like they're two highway workers. Um, so like there's a lot of like themes of like solitude and male friendship and all that. And it's definitely strange, but it was a really nice little film that I happened to stumble across. So it's you should watch it.
0: George?
2: I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and quickly recommend two. So the first is a Trees Lounge, which is the directorial, directorial debut of Steve Buscemi. It's made in the 90s. He kind of plays like a an alcoholic who mills around in Queens, I believe, hopping uh, between bars. He's out of work and he it's not really a kind of descent into hell. It's more like a slow walk into apathy. I think that's the the best way to describe it. And I think it's like a really accurate uh, portrayal of like, self-destruction where it's not kind of violent, but more sad and kind of wasting time. And uh, the other one I'm going to uh, pick is uh, Robert Altman's Nashville from 1975. Uh, kind of a sprawling look at the country music scene numerous players in it, like I think 24 characters, so you kind of got uh, an up-and-coming like, musician who can't really sing, two warring uh, kind of country stars, you've got the old older guard and uh, a BBC journalist played by Charlie Chaplin's daughter uh, I think for anyone who kind of likes once upon a time of Hollywood, so this is quite similar. It's got that hangout vibe to it, and yeah, it's it's just a just two hours forty, but it's probably one of the quickest two hours forty you'll ever have.
0: Taylor.
1: For one recommendation this week, I would recommend Derek Sion France's I Know This Much Is True limited series on HBO, which is an adaption of a novel. He previously made Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines, and this is a six-episode arc uh, with Catherine Hahn and uh, a huge cast of characters from Imogen Poots to Rosie O'Donnell. Each of them are turning in some of their best performances, and Sion France's is back to the heights that he achieved with um, The Place Beyond the Pines. I couldn't recommend it more.
4: Hillary? I've got to agree with the recommendation about, uh, I know this much is true, uh, but my recommend, recommendation for this week would definitely be this, uh, this documentary called There Are No Fakes. Uh, I saw that this week and it really blew my mind at the very beginning of the documentary. You just believe it's going, it's about, um, fakery and specifically revolving around this, uh, Canadian Indigenous artist, Norval Morisseau, who, uh, was quite prolific during his lifetime, but afterwards it was discovered that a lot of the paintings that were circulating in the art market might be fakes. So at the very beginning of the documentary, it's kind of examining that and it kind of throws all these players at you and it's really confusing, but eventually sorts everything out and it becomes this really devastating look at where these fakes came from. And I don't want to say much more because it will spoil it, but uh, definitely worth watching. Um, But it's a Bit on the heavier side. If you want something lighter and completely out there, that's, I watched it recently and I was just like, I have no idea what's going on, but I was laughing the whole time, is this little movie called VHS, which is completely shot on VHS and beta. And it's supposedly a 12 year old recording over his uh, parents' wedding tape. And it's very, very strange, very, very funny. Like I said, very much out there. So that's my way in for this. For this episode,
0: sounds like a lot of people are watching some good stuff. I'm still trying to get over um, overalls and big mustaches from Elena's uh, point, which is sort of taken uh, taking me over. Um, I haven't seen much this week. I must admit, uh, I have seen one thing which I want to talk about just very briefly, um, which is Shannon Murphy's uh, "Baby Teeth," premiered at Venice last last September, which unfortunately I missed. Um, it's been one to watch for quite a while. We were sent. Um, a, a, politely sent the screener by IFC and I watched it a few nights ago. A similar film to, um, to what uh, we spoke about on the podcast today. A film that begins in a, in a tone uh, that enraps you in this sort of very uh, offbeat love story and, and then quickly turns into something so much more profound and, and um, ultimately devastating to, to, to watch. I I can't speak highly of Shannon Murphy's film. Um, There's not really much I want to go in in depth with purely because I think this is a film that will hit you with um, going in completely blind. Um, I'll say it's got comedic elements, but it's mostly a drama. Um, Going in blind offers quite a few surprises, but there's a a Ben Mendelsohn um, role in here, which is Anything with Ben Mendelsohn is is, is, is astonishing, and he's he's a, a nothing short of a delight here. Ezy Davis is in here, um, but I, I just uh, I just need to mention the performance of um, Eliza Scanlon, um, who who plays the uh, the uh, the main role of uh, uh, Mila here. Um, truly, something uh, to watch out for. It has a really nice Australian quirk to it. Um, but before long, this this film with how it enraptures the uh, the, the viewer is 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 an astonishing little piece of, of, of work, and uh, most definitely something to uh, uh, to check out. Well, uh, that is it for this week's episode of Clubcast. Where can we find everyone on social media, uh, George? Let's start with you. Hey, you can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at George
2: ninety seven. Uh, Lewis has got two s's the pains of
0: a generic British name Alina where can we uh, find uh, everything you talk about
3: uh, I'm Alina Falls on Twitter and Alina Falls on Letterboxd
0: Hilary where can we find most of your work
4: um, you can find me on Letterboxd I'm under the name Laudanum at 33 um, I also have a wordpress blog called the Holy Shrine where I write about film
0: or anything that's culture
1: related so you can find me there
0: and it might be a silly question, but Taylor, where can we find you?
1: You can find me on Letterboxd or Twitter at Earth's Taylor, um, because all the other Taylors were taken up, so might as well pretend to be the only one. And then um, you can follow our podcast uh, Twitter or Instagram at Drinkin' the Movies.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for uh, being our guest uh, today. I really do appreciate that. You can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk. And find out social links on Clapper at Facebook and at ClapperLTD on Twitter. Make sure to rate, subscribe or follow us to be notified when the next episode comes out.